Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to High Performance Manager at Fremantle FC in the AFL, Jason Webber. Thanks for tuning in to episode 284 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So another part two, building on a part one from a long time ago. So this is nearly five and a half years ago since I first spoke to Jason. So Jason is still in the same position at Fremantle, but we get a lot of new perspectives on certain topics that we covered in um, in episode one, which is episode 12 and uh, was from July 2014. So we, we discussed uh, building a coaching philosophy, which was a big part of the episode back in, um, back in July 14. But it's great to get a new perspective from Jason and see what's changed, what's developed. Obviously, a lot's changed in the industry with a lot more technology available. Um, and that goes for um, the guys at Fremantle as well. New staff, um, new staffing structures. So really interesting take on building a coaching philosophy. Then we discussed his PhD, which is a really, really interesting area, which we couldn't dive too deep into, given the sensitive nature of what Jason is doing at Fremantle. But nonetheless, a great discussion, which I'm sure will really um, get you thinking. Then thrown in the middle of all that was a really interesting discussion about the modern athlete and what's changed in the behaviours of athletes over the last five and ten years since Jason's been at Fremantle. So that's a really interesting chat that I think a lot will relate to, um, especially Jason who's been in the game for a long time and see how things have developed and athletes have developed uh, in terms of their behaviours and what they expect and all that kind of thing. So really interesting chat and it's an absolute pleasure to get Jason again. Absolutely love speaking to him and uh, it's an episode I'm sure you'll really, really enjoy. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics, the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can do, and you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by iMeasureU. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident, which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. 
I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defence and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Jason Webber. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So this morning, I have the pleasure in speaking to Jason Weber. So welcome to a part two, mate. G'day, Rob. Nice to meet you again. Yes, finally, we've got to put a face to a name. Yes. Um, so anyone that wants to be more of an in-depth look at your background and whatnot, um, they can check out the one we did four or five years ago. But you just want to give us a bit of a, uh, a rundown of kind of what's happened since and then we'll dive into the conversation that we were having five minutes ago, which is absolute gold. And I wanted to press record right there. But yes, so any any changes since we last spoke? Um, not not structurally, so to speak. I'm uh, I'm still technically the high performance manager. Um, I say technically because we're just debating the nature of that term. But high performance manager at Fremantle Football Club. Um, so uh, I guess in that capacity, very quickly, I have three full-time S&C coaches um, with me. I have four full-time physio staff. We have two doctors, multitude of masseurs, um, dietitian. We've got innumerate students running around the places at various levels. And, um, you know, we're interacting these days with three different psychologists. So um, uh, then that becomes the interaction to the coaches as well. So that's the job. I've been at Fremantle for 12 years. Um, the job has probably grown in that time. Um, and I guess as I've matured with it, I'm probably doing it a little bit differently. Um, but that probably leads us to where we were about what, you, actually, what you do day to day. Yeah. So high performance manager, why the disdain, <laughs> yeah, why no. the disdain for the title? Uh, I, I think as, as we sort of talked, I think it's become a bit cliched. Um, it's a bit ill-defined um, in that what I do as a high-performance manager is quite different to what other people do, um, particularly with pertaining to the staff that they interact with and the level at which they interact. Um, I think it's, I mean, titles are titles, they're badges you wear. I mean, I, I view my role very much as... Um, the facilitator of my environment. So I, I make things work in that um, we run a, I'm very lucky to have some great staff work for me, both medically, physically, uh, sorry, physiotherapy, medically and S&C coach. So it's not difficult to work through problems and ask people genuine opinions and see where they're at, to which I get probably the luxury of overviewing and then if need be, um, step in and help something go one direction if I feel that's where it needs to go as opposed to another. But um, my job is is really to bring those people together um, to get the best result um, and, and make sure that that happens, you know, every day. So we were talking about before the importance of not just slipping into this kind of managerial role and not actually being hands-on. Why, yeah. do you think that's so, why do you think that's so important and were you ever in the camp of – did, went to that managerial no. position? You've always been. No, I. Yeah. yeah, whether I don't know whether it's right or wrong, and you can't, you can't say something's one hundred percent right or wrong. I can tell you the way I do it, and and I have a bent towards 
in this high-performance manager role, I think you should have a trade. And a trade, um, like my trade is strength and conditioning coaches. Another trade might be physiotherapy or doctor. They would be the three people that would be um, likely to be involved in, in this type of role. In that capacity, I still have a job. I still coach. I still believe it's pertinent that I'm in the gym. I'm not in it as in the gym as much as I would be before, uh, maybe historically, um, but certainly for lower body sessions, uh, for when our main running elements are on, particularly when we've got fast work going on, I would be there and I'd be at every football session on the field, front and centre with um, how the session's going, interacting with the coach. Um, so that's just the way I see it. I mean, at times I'm trying to step back in some areas to allow my staff to develop because that's that's a critical feature, particularly my S&C staff as they get older and they've been around longer. They, they're all very good operators um, and they're, they're good in and of themselves and so you need to give them space to, you know, practice interacting particularly with a coach, which is, you know, you get that question a lot. Um, what's the key element? Now, one of the key elements is always dealing with coaching staff. Um, physios, doctors, all we all share a common language, but football coaches are another another profession altogether. So, yeah, I try to step back to allow those guys to practice and get comfortable, but I still thoroughly believe uh, you have to have a job and you have to keep professionally developing in that regard such that you can contribute. Um, when we run in-house training, we did uh, an in-house and in-service the other day and, um, and you know, I, I led it, but well, I could really say I started the discussion, but it was very strongly um, uh, contributed to from absolutely every component of my staff. Um, and I think it's probably taken a long time to get there, um, but to have some people may have some disdain for it, but to have physios and S&C coaches in one room discussing running mechanics is really important. Um, and I guess well, it comes down to your, your philosophy, each, each person's individual philosophy and how it interacts. But um, again, in that room, it's not to say you're right or wrong, but it's really critical that physios know the direction S&C coaches are trying, what they're trying to do on the field, and that we all have an understanding of what's, what's happening because there are you know, there are risks. You try to push a rehab guy through a little bit, there are risks. We're pushing people, some of them, to the, the edge of their uh, tolerance levels. Um, it's important they all know. So I've probably swayed off task a bit there, but, yeah, yeah that's fine, mate. have a trade. <laughs> do, you think, do you think the image people have in the mind of a high-performance manager is to go through the career, the traditional route, the assistant, the head, they become the manager and then there is a need. I know this is going against what you've just said in terms of your uh, experience, but there is a need to then step back and they've got, almost with a, a feeling of I've done my time on the gym floor and now I'm going to be what may be seen as almost bigger than that and, and speak with the the you know the, the coaches and maybe higher up the hierarchy in the back room with the general managers and CEOs and that kind of thing. Do you think that's a, a, a kind of what people think about that journey, whereas well, you've just said it's a, quite different to that? Well, I think that comes down to what you see as your trade. I, mm -hmm. 
you know, you you define yourself by certain things. Um, I don't. I wouldn't define myself as a high performance manager. I'd define myself as a coach. And even you know, if we get to talking about other academics that I'm doing at the moment, I would never consider myself, you know, a scientist or anything. I am a coach who does some science shit. Um, that's <laughs> great. I'm a I'm a coach who does some managing things, um, but. I'm a coach, so I, I need to be on the ground, um, and, and particularly as the world moves forward. You know, we've got technologies involved in the gym now that when I started, they were never around. I mean, GPS is the same thing, uh, inertial motion units, all, all that. Um, to understand that, like, you need to have your fingers dirty. You need to have your hands dirty. You need to be part of that. No different to, um, you know, the analytics of all these components. You can't have people working for you doing whiz-bang things with analytics that you have no idea about. So, I mean, in that context, I guess since I spoke to you, I've learned how to code. You know, so I code computers. You know, I use our language. Um, I'm no genius, but I can make certainly do it. And, you know, you go down the machine learn, learning path and all that sort of stuff. You know, I'm no massive expert, but the guys I work with, I understand when they talk to me, talk to me about a convolutional neural network, I know what that is. You know, I'm not standing there with a blank look on my face going, uh, you know, so that's, but that's where our sports are going. That's where things are demanding. So if you're going to manage those things, you need to understand them, in my humble opinion. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, coaching philosophy. This is one thing we chatted about back in 2015. I'd just love to go over that same thing again and, and look at how that's developed. And I've just written down there, you'd mentioned right, in the, right at the start, your development as a, sorry to say, a high performance manager and what certain things you've done differently and a lot of which we've touched on there. But your coaching philosophy, how did that come around? Why do you think that's so important to develop and how has that developed and, and been manipulated over time? I think, I think first principles, I mean, I've written about this on my, my website and it probably is a thing that I'm, I'm passionate about, I suppose. Um, I certainly force, and I literally mean force, um, my students to develop an opinion. So I guess a philosophy gives you a framework. So that means that if you and I, um, go into the gym and you're, let's say for the moment we're both, you're working for me, then we're going to discuss whatever, squatting, right? That if you have a perspective, you have a view on how you coach it, how it should look, blah, 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 why I would do something versus I would not do, it gives you a starting point. So then I have my own starting point and we can come together and have a discussion. I can learn off you, you can learn off me and we can move forward and we can work together. If you have nothing, you know, if you walk in and we say, well, okay, let's let's discuss squatting. And I don't mean that squatting is the be all and end all of anything, but as a place to start, if you've got a blank face and you don't know anything, you broadly can identify one if you saw a squat, but you don't really know anything about it. It means that I'm now teaching you. That's it. That's what's happening. That's the only interaction. So... A philosophy gives you a point of reference that you can use to interact with other coaches and progress your learning. But then that point of reference, as I've sort of tried to make light of before, if you, you look at that Arnold Schwarzenegger, that, that first scene in 
um, Terminator when you know he's walking around nude and he starts going into the bar and the red eyes come up and he's scanning everybody. Well, every day you're watching athletes. That scan should be happening and it should be referencing your philosophy on the basis that if you see something that doesn't match your philosophy, don't walk past it, stop it, fix it, move on. All right. There's lots of discussion, I think, at the moment about, you know, how we cue things and how we communicate. And, and I, I don't disagree with that. I think they're really fantastic concepts. But if you can communicate and you've got nothing to say because you don't know enough and you don't have a strong philosophy, it doesn't help. All right. I think you've got to start, as I said, first principles. You need to understand exactly what it is you're doing. And you need to be able to communicate it so that if you're having a discussion with a coach, a senior coach, you can communicate with, you know, not exactly, with solid clarity what you're doing. And that philosophy then, you asked me about my philosophy, has mine changed in five years? Yes, it has. You know, I've learned new things. I've incorporated new ideas. I've, I've met new people that have challenged me. I've, I've done research that's challenged myself that, you know, to, to, to make me think that actually what I've done in the past wasn't as accurate as I thought it was because now I've got this, this new concept or this new way to measure things. So, yeah, you continually evolve and that philosophy should always be evolving. Um, but I think people have got to draw a line. As I, I mentioned earlier, we did our in-service the other day and I made, when I say made, I encouraged all my staff to write down so the question we posed, which was a couple of pictures, um, we posed uh, the question and I asked them to write down and commit to paper what they thought. I said, you don't have to show me, but you've got to take a stand. And so you either were, were clear on what you were doing and it matched the group's ideas and what we, you know, the thread that we got to, or if it didn't, that's okay, start to adapt. That's something you needed to work on. Cool. But when people don't draw a line in the sand, when they don't commit to a line of thinking, it's too easy to go, oh, yeah, and flip from one thing to the other. Commit. Commit to that perspective. So then if the discussion comes up, why, why do I not squat standing on a fucking ball with a bar over my head and rubber bands on my wrapped around my ears, well, there's a whole bunch of reasons why. But uh, that has to come back to your philosophy. Be careful, mate. Do you wind me up, I don't stop talking. <laughs> Do you think from your experience working with students and staff that people are less inclined to have that strong point of view and are a little bit happier to be in that zone where you can go, oh, yeah, 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 that, I think that as well, just I to be – just to get along type of thing? Yeah, I, I think there is a, a lot of that. I think if I look at my undergrads that I've – so we run um, approximately four undergrads as work placements throughout the year for the last couple of years. So probably the last two, I would say, two to three, probably the last two. Academically, I think they're much stronger coming out. They're, they're really quite sharp. But none of them, none of them have either in my – the things that we do, run or lifted, run fast or lifted anything. So they have no context from which to develop ideas. So everything they're learning about lifting, they've learned from a textbook somewhere 
or, or the like. And, and you say we work through these sessions where we go, we'll teach you how to do it. You've got to go and practice. You know, you've got to have some empathy with the athlete. The old Percy Karate, an old famous old Australian coach, you don't have to run as fast as them or lift as much as them, but you have to understand it, you know. Um, and that's why I think coaches that, that have an athletic background of their own have a great advantage over others. You know, I was very fortunate to, to have a, a um, very strong upbringing through the Australian Institute of Sport as an athlete. So, I mean, I learnt everything I know about lifting or the basis of everything I know from there, you know. So guys who've never lifted and never run, um, you know, they, they can still learn it all, but you, you, you find they, they don't seem to. We have university students coming out that have no practical sense. They're very smart, but no practical sense of what they're actually doing. So is there any examples that you can give in terms of your philosophy and what's changed over the last few years? Any points that you could give? Like uh, I spoke to Alex Natera and with the research that had come out with Olympic lifting derivatives, he'd moved away from that, but then brought that back in, given the work of Paul Comfort, et cetera. Is there anything like that that you've maybe gone away from to bring back in or brought back in after you've binned it off? Um. Not so much in, in the weights room. Certainly mm-hmm. one of the, the conflicts we see in AFL or I've seen in recent years is the not only how young the athletes are coming in but how inexperienced. So we, we've got a, a real run of athletes in the last couple of years who had little or no interest in being in the gym whatsoever. So ideas that we might have held this is the way we'd like to move. We, we really had to change how we approached those guys. And, and that was not so much, there was a, probably a, not so much a physio- philosophical change, but certainly a contextual change. In, in order to get what we wanted, we have to deliver it a little bit differently. And, and uh, I think the, you know, I shudder to say it, but the nature of the young athletes coming in now is different. You know, just, I, just, just dive in there, Jason. What was yeah. different? Oh, I think the, the attitudes are different. I think the athletes, some, some coming in now have a very inflated sense of self-worth. Um, by that, I mean athletic worth, not personal worth. I mean, they think they are far better. I mean, I, I had an athlete last year who, who was really very, very poor athletically, had some unbelievable neural traits. You could see them, the jumps. The, the, there's some exposure to speed, he could do stuff, but incapable of anything else. And, um, you know, he really thought he should be playing AFL. And it took him 12 months to get to a point where it actually might be possible now, but he still has this inflate. I, you know, I want to be lifting heavy. I want to be doing this. Well, dude, you can't lift heavy every fucking session. You know, we have to wave, we have to, manage your load through and no, no, I want to do this. I'm like, dude, the, the grey in my beard is for a reason. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't just put it in there this morning, you know. Um, so there are some that have a distorted sense of where they're at and I think that's a product in certainly in Australia of um, the amount of the amount that players are told how good they are early and you know, certainly there are some that come through at 18, 19 and fantastic, there's no question, but there's a vast majority need to make the transition from boys to men. 
uh, probably a good name for a band, but um, <laughs> there are some that don't, you know. And and we've, I think we've had to. When I say we, my staff and I and Jim have had to change our approach. Um, some things can't be as hard as maybe they once were, you know. Um, I grew up in a very hard system of lifting, and this is the way you do it, and that's it, and get on with it. Um, that that doesn't sort of fly uh, culturally anymore. Um, we still have to be certainly strong, but the the nature of the players has, has changed. Um, but I guess if I go back to another, you'd said philosophically, what else has changed? I mean, I'd be not dissimilar from Alex uh, Natira in that certainly the work I've been, my, my PhD's in running and um, accelerometers and the like, and the work that I've done over the, or produced in the last sort of 12 to 18 months has changed the way I approach the way people run. And I've really separated them into more distinct groups now rather than maybe where I once said more kind of everybody we're doing this path. There's, there's some guys need to be slightly different for a variety of reasons. Um, and, you know, hopefully I'll get that published one day, but um, doing a PhD at lunchtimes is quite difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just go back we'll, we'll come back to that the, the PhD stuff in a, yeah. in a little while but just going back to the modern athlete so how are you adjusting how you deliver information to them how you deal with them on a day-to-day basis compared to maybe 10 years ago given the um, traits that you've mentioned I think there are certain players that certainly require their handheld a lot more. I think there's there's the ones that come in that are kind of ready to go. And I, I, I had the pleasure of meeting an athlete who's now with us at Fremantle um, just uh, probably 18 months ago. And he, he was one of the most, for a kid who came in at early 20s, one of the most brilliantly self-educated athletes I've ever met. Unbelievable. So we could immediately step into working at quite a high level and make him some really good decisions between he and I and other coaches about what he would do. But the other two types of athletes that we're seeing is is one is the ones who really don't get it, don't want to get it, aren't interested. Um, I've got probably three of them I'm working with myself um, very, very closely at the moment. And it's been three or four years, three, three years in two of them cases, to get them to buy into what we're doing, that what we're doing will actually stop you getting injured. And will actually, you know, if you train in the off-season or the pre-season period, you actually will become more resilient and you will survive longer. And, um, you know, it's it's these guys that kind of, they, they, I would call them the white line guys. They're the guys who think, yep, yeah, as soon as I cross the white line, I'm good to go. It's just not the case. And you see them fall over and over. And then I guess the second group in that young tier is the ones who come in and think they're sensational and they are just so far off the mark, it's not funny. And again, you can't crush their ego. You need to you need to find what they do well and give them success but hope that that success doesn't continue to feed the beast. So I think in that respect we've really tried to change, or I guess I've changed, in that I'm trying to spend more time with them developing them slowly emotionally whereas my nature would probably be like you know 
you shitting me? You you you're actually telling me we can't do this or you know, so and that's that's look, mate, I'm a product of, of that, you know, we often bag football coaches for saying for being like their coaches. Well, I'm no different. I'm like I was brought up. Um, so you know I've I've changed with that. And has that been has that been quite hard for you? Yes. Okay. Yes, there yeah, certainly. But I will say um, that in committing to a change, I've actually had rewards on the other side because I feel like now I'm communicating with those athletes better than maybe I did before because we've I've tried to bridge the gap and they have too, I suppose. And we're now getting somewhere. But when it, that's a labour-intensive task. We're talking about, you know, me being one-on-one or one-on-two with athletes for couple of hours a week, which detracts from the remainder of the group. But if you sort of tie that back to that that high performance manager role, you know, the way the way my I guess my strength and conditioning team runs at the moment is that um, I let the running of the entire group to the senior S and C coach and the staff. And then fundamentally I'm taking more of the problem. So I'm almost a coach underneath, so to speak, which I, I really, I probably enjoy that as well. Like I don't, I'm not taking the whole session. I, I'm saying, well, okay, I'll commit to the problems and let's get that and you guys deal with everything else. And, and that's worked really well for us, really well. Um, but, yeah, it's taken a different different tack from all of us. I don't know how old your SNC staff are, but – from if it was someone from a less experienced angle like yourself dealing with them type of players with maybe a younger practitioner almost more on their not on their level but bring more of their i don't want to be um don't want to hammer them too much but slightly softer mindset let's say um do you think that would be cause a, a bigger problem that they wouldn't be able to deal with that compared to um, you with the more experience and I harder think, angle? Well, I, I think, again, I don't think there's a right and wrong answer. I think number one is that probably probably over time I've hired people that are similar to myself. Okay. Therefore, they have there's a couple that have quite a solid edge to them and, and, and that's confronting for some of these guys, some of these ones that aren't interested in being you know, I just want to go and play footy and that's it. Um, so they probably react in somewhat similar way, which is why I guess if you if I take the leadership role I'm, I have at present, I was the one who I decided, well, if someone's going to make a change, it needs to come from me and I will take the recalcitrant group and I will make the change and bridge to them and, and that's worked. And rather than me forcing someone with my staff to do to maybe coach in a manner that's not entirely their go right at that time. Um, equally, I think to allow my younger coaches to the opportunity to lead a bigger group, it's easier if I take the trouble away, you know, and let them coach well with athletes who are engaged and in it um, because inevitably the ones that aren't interested detract from what you're doing. And that's what I think is so unique about AFL is that we have, mate, I have everything. I have the number one player in AFL and I have arguably some of the worst physical specimens in the history of ever, you know. (laughs) 
So, yeah, you, you got this dichotomy. Um, on one hand, I have an athlete who literally his program exists in my head and we discuss it day to day. Um, we've got key indicators that we both use and uh, we both use, we know and understand. And on that basis, we make together very informed decisions about what he's doing. Um, the kid I mentioned before who came from, um, uh, was recruited from another, from a, uh, a lower level club came in, but he's very, very well educated, self-educated. He also, it's easy to have an advanced conversation, but you can't have that with a kid who is flat out standing on one leg, you know, they, so you've got to do it differently. And, and it's been interesting because within that, now that they've responded to what we've done, there's a hard edge to what they're doing. Like there's no, like I can sort of bark and they jump and they do it and they, they're into it. But, and maybe, maybe it's, it's the way we've had to teach in order for them to engage. And I know some people might be critical that we don't get them to engage enough, but um, I think when you look at the, what we've done and been successful with over a number of years, the bulk don't need that. But when you end up with frontline players because you have a very young team that require very, very close supervision um, and almost a personal touch in order to get them to engage, somehow you've got to do that. And I think that's probably probably what I've learned the most in maybe the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. So just going back on the philosophy, <clears throat> excuse me, the philosophy side of things, how deep does that philosophy go? Like, is that, is it a, would you class it a philosophy as, a, as an overarching belief in how you do things as a general? Or would you have a philosophy and all the different verticals that you're involved in, i.e., strength training, uh, monitoring, et cetera, et cetera. And you would have a very defined, if someone said to you, what's your philosophy on monitoring? You go, boom, that's what it is, rather than this overarching thing. You know, go back to Terminator. Do you think he was looking general or was he looking specific when he was scoping for the biker's outfit? It I think it's scoping. Yeah, yeah, I think it's very, 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 very specific. I, I yeah. think it comes down to uh, – every detail, every nuance of, of what you're trying to work with. And then more than that, I think it feeds into integration of ideas. I, I really, uh, like my, my, we talk about S&C stuff, but my three S&C coaches all coach running. They all coach in the gym. And the path that I would have them do is they all come through rehab as well. So my senior S&C coach has done, I think he did three years in full-time rehab, my current S&C, uh, current rehab guys in three years, and I will make number three go through rehab because I think my philosophy is, well, uh, this is an overarching, is that in order to coach well, you need to be able to coach the worst possible circumstance, injury or you know young athletes, which again feeds back to what I just said to you. Well, if, if we've got athletes that aren't doing the job and they won't work in the gym, well, then I should be the one to be able to fix it which I've adapted and, and done that. And, and you know, that's, that's the biggest challenge you've got. I mean, I always talk to when coaches ask me, um, you know, how do I get experience? I said, go and coach anybody. Go and coach kids. Go and fight, coach overweight, middle-aged men. You know, you'll learn something about the way humans react and move every single time. Um, and, and kids is one of the best ways, places to start. 
So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Jason. Hope you're enjoying part one as much as I did. So over in part two, we discuss um, his coaching philosophy when it comes to monitoring and other aspects of his role. We also keep going on the chat around the modern athlete and that keeps coming up in conversation. Then we finish off with some chat around his PhD, which we can't go into too much detail because the sensitivity of what he's doing with that PhD at Fremantle, but nonetheless, a great area which I'm sure will lead to a lot of thought by those who tune in towards the end. So a really interesting part two coming up with Jason. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by AthleteMonitoring.com, the world's most comprehensive, versatile and cost-effective athlete health and performance management platform for elite sports. So AthleteMonitoring.com is trusted by top development programs, universities, professional teams, Olympic programs, national sports organisations and research institutes worldwide. It streamlines data collection, centralizes the management of wellness, training and performance, medical and testing, and administrative data. It also simplifies the interpretation with best practice analytics and evidence-based methods to optimize performance and reduce injury risk. So with all these features on a single platform, athletemonitoring.com seamlessly brings key stakeholders together to build healthier athletes, more efficient organizations, and long-lasting successes. To see what AthleteMonitoring.com can do for you, visit AthleteMonitoring.com and schedule a free demo or follow them on Twitter at AthleteMonitor. This episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave, which is the only non-invasive at rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. So using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position and this data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement only takes four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our windows of trainability concept. Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sport athletes, military and law enforcement agencies. They are also an official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. So to learn more about Omega Wave, visit their website omegawave.com or visit their social media channels. Um, so <clears throat> monitoring philosophy. Since we last spoke, uh, 2015, there's, um, you might have had force plates back then, but force plates, <laughs> Nordboard, yep. groin bar, all these um, technologies. Obviously, GPS has, has just taken over the world. Um, HRV, all these various different technologies, which means there's obviously hundreds and hundreds of data points to be able to deal with. You've mentioned that you learn, <clears throat> that you learn R. Yep. But in terms of how that philosophy has changed the monitoring side of things is there anything that you can dive into there and um, how you've dealt with these kind of changes sure i don't think my core philosophies have changed in this regard the, the so when you, you talk about a strategic intent versus a tactical intent so strategy is your overarching views your overarching um guiding principles of which you'll do which is and then a tactic will be what would we do to achieve that strategy so um, number one, um, monitoring, there are two parts. There's a human system and a data system. 
Okay, and that's the data system's kind of easy in that you just mentioned all those different systems, they all have APIs, um, so they all feed into our, our core databasing system at work, which we write in-house. Um, so, so you built that, that in-house yeah, yourselves? Yeah, okay. because yep. we started back in, in 2009, really a lot of the, the big companies weren't out then, and, and even withstanding, you know, the companies that are out there now are doing some really good stuff and it's meant to be plug and play, but fundamentally there's a lot that you can't do um, and you can't move fast. So if we go, you know, you and I are working and we're going, listen, look, we're really just seeing a pattern in whatever, whatever you mentioned, Nord boards, which is an interesting one. So um, one of my former staff members and a good friend, Michael Dobbin, who's now with the um, North Queensland Cowboys in the NRL, he had a philosophy. He had some ideas about what he was seeing in Nordboard with how fatigue interacts. Um, and I, I, to this day, I still think it's a great concept about um, how asymmetries respond under, for, under different levels of fatigue. Um, in any case, he had that. So he has that idea, but then you need to be able to follow the data through and, and see if there is something there. So... Um, Getting all that data in and, and being able to work with it needs two things. It needs, obviously, the systems on the front end, the, the technology itself, which you've mentioned has evolved massively. You need the integration to a single place um, and then the ability to dive into that data, which is why, why you know, you go and Excel's great, Excel does some really cool things, um, but once you get down the path um, and you spend enough time with it, all your you, basic data science languages are Python, uh, you know, you can go into MATLAB if you're into that sort of stuff. They give you the ability to do even more and start to look deeper at patterns. Um, and again, I would not say I'm anybody's genius in that space, but I have one or two geniuses working with me. And it's important that in order for us to integrate and to optimise people's jobs day to day and to make sure they're fulfilled in what they're doing and we're getting an outcome for the club, I need to understand their language. So to get back to the monitoring piece, the data systems, look, we've changed. Um, we used to ask, you know, 20 questions in monitoring. Now we're kind of down to only a couple of really succinct ones. I'd go further and say that um, I was part of a team that presented a paper at MIT uh, probably nearly going on two years ago now, and we data mined uh, about 12 years worth of data and um, saw no relationship between anything pertaining to RPE or any question variable in association with soft tissue injuries. And we were able to, we were able to get some really nice predictive models off um, running data, alone individual running data, and a rather complex approach to that. But nonetheless, from then you go the data systems, the human system is then the one that I think I still think to this day we get more value out of. And if you think, if you thought of uh, like a series of sieves, so to speak, you know, like, a, like a, um, a gold miner might have used back in the day, they pour a bunch of water and, and uh, porous and, you know, rocky materials into this sieve and you've got different levels. You know, so the first level might be your S&C coaches, the second level is a physio, third doctor, um, and not... They don't have to be in that order, but the way we set up our staff is so that one physio and one S&C coach would be responsible for a group, two and three, so the whole group is covered. So 
equally doctors across everybody, two docs, of then when we meet, we would very much, when we meet to check training and prepare, we have a go-no-go meeting. And in that meeting, as a player's name is called out, yes, you're going to have some technical input as from the data side, but we're also looking for behavioural patterns. We're looking for how was this guy, how was he composed this morning? Who was he speaking to? Was he behaving normally? Was he louder than normal, quieter than normal? Um, those type of things. Very much, um, you know, Dan Pfaff um, is a very big proponent of that. I don't know the man personally, but I've certainly seen a lot of his work. You know, that's the coaching skill is the eye. What can you see? How's their behavior? So then you, same in the warm-up. You're watching the warm-up to see how they move. Is there something wrong about the way they're moving, something just not right? And if you read Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, he talks about thin slicing in that. Some of the research behind that is that, again, it comes back to that Terminator idea. Can my subconscious mind pick something up that looks wrong, that compares back to my philosophy in order to say, hey, that's something I need to attend to immediately? You know, so you, you, we work very hard on that human system to be able to detect where people are at. I mean, we get the numbers. We get... Yeah, I can tell you now, my opinion would be after 25 years of doing RPEs that you will get a portion of your group put the same thing in every single day, you'll get another portion that give you an honest answer, and you'll get another portion that give you the most radically overzealous response ever. <laughs> and so you've got to kind of decode all that. And it's not enough to just say the data, you know, it's all in the data because it's not what you need to know is then say, okay, I've got a data point, what does that tell me? And then I have a physio reporting that blah, blah came in and he was really quiet this morning. And then the S&C coach says, well, he wasn't real good in his, his uh, prep to train stuff this morning. Okay, there's two or three signals starting to come in that, well, let's do something about it. So I'm far more inclined to say that my monitoring philosophies have remained the same, but the signals that we get on the data side of the equation have changed and that's going to advance simply because of technology. So you, you, you mentioned it there a little bit, but it, my next question off the MIT paper yep. was have you been to RPEs? So you, you, you're still collecting RPEs on a daily basis? Bind them, okay? Bind them. Yeah, okay. Bind them. Purely um, we would quiz players every day. So we would post-training, we'll check in with every player through staffing, but I don't collect an RPE anymore. I mean, we have, we have internal monitors from a heart rate perspective. Um, we obviously have the, all the external stuff with, with the uh, inertial motion units, et cetera. Um, but RPEs, I just believe, have, they're not, they're not um, did I use them previously extensively? Yes, I did, because that's what I needed at the time. That's what I had. Now I've got live heart rate monitors on 47 players coming in automatically. Um, we can see where people are at and what they've, what they've produced across a session. Did they perceive the session to be harder or, or easier? Well, that's where it comes down to our, our coaching. And I say coaching with respect to physios as well, to start feeding in how players responded. Now, if they've just fatigued post one session and they're coming into the gym and they're tired, that's the coach's responsibility to work with that athlete and find out where they're at and that's where we'll pick them up through some of the 
monitoring systems in the gym. You mentioned force plates and the like. Um, you know, are they able to compete what we're complete what we're asking for? If they're not, well, then we downgrade them. You know, we modify the session. But yeah, I, I, I must admit, I have moved away from RPEs. So is that the same with all subjective, like wellness and. No, like we that. still we still have um, we still do a, a, a screening that's designed to incorporate all those elements, including mental health, um, to ensure that they they have a a path. But what I would say, it's it's not unlike um, to use a real nerdism, looking at network analysis. Okay, so there are more than one way to goal. So to think that a player is going to give an honest answer to everything. It's the old Socratic ignorance, you know, what a man knows and what he's prepared to tell you, two different things. So we give them opportunity to tell us, but we also know that we're looking in other parts. We're looking at other features. Um, the number of times, I mean, even this week, I've had a player not right, I'm not sore, I'm not anything, everything's okay, but then my calf sore. Okay. So you didn't write it down. You didn't think, no, I didn't think it was worth it. Okay. You didn't think to tell us, and then we can just have a look. But we detect it because he was he had a kind of an odd walk while he was walking down the hallway. And one of the coaches saw it and picked it up. So it's it's that idea of again being on the ball all the time. Am I saying something that's wrong? Yes. Let's address it. Nice. Well, this brings us on to PhD, lunchtime, no. PhD time. Lunchtime. Talk to us, talk to us about what, what the journey's been like and then yeah. what the area is, and then we'll dive into actually how it's affecting your day-to-day in the yeah. assessment mechanics. I think probably it's an interesting point, and I, I made it at a conference the other day. There are so many people doing PhDs now. Um, certainly I was encouraged um, by my supervisor said, you, you've been there, you've got so much data, let's, let's do something. Okay. I was encouraged to do it. But I will say that I have gone in with a very, very specific question and I want it answered for a coach. So I want what I'm doing is, and I can describe that in a minute, is aim specifically at giving the S&C coach or a physio the information about an athlete to ensure that your program is correct. All right, and not just assuming. So if I gave you an example, I'm a very, I, I don't like the idea of at end-stage rehab, we go, okay, let's say it's a grade two hamstring, bicep fem, mus, distal muscular tendinous junction. All right, we're going to run a 90% effort, 40 metres, time, go to work. All right, now, if you, connect, if you pass the time, okay, you're done, you're in. Now, You've only got to look at a lot of the work J.B. Morin's done and a couple of his disciples, you know, Jordan Minaguchia, um, uh, Matt Cross and the like, where they've distinctly shown there's, a, there's an inadequacy in some rehabs going back. The player may be able to attain a certain speed, but there are certain limitations left to right. Now, should we concern ourselves with those? Well, that's really the big question. But if you take that a step further, one of the other things, because AFL is such a running sport, I've seen many, many times over the years is the one where a guy gets, let's say, a quad cork, like a really nice hematoma, and you, and it might persist. Like it might be a big cork that lasts for two or three weeks, and you're saying, like, this kid's actually running different. I can see it. I need to change his loading. Coach goes, no, 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 
F that. We're, we're just pushing on. I'm like, we're really, this is not a, this is a problem. And then you get three weeks down the track and he goes, and then there's a calf injury on the same side. And you go, well, hang on. We saw it. Now, if it's, if it's enough that I could see it, is it something we could address? But then I concern myself with, well, what about the ones that we don't actually see? So when a, a player comes back in and we start training, um, say, for instance, now we, we train, we have a light run, a play on a Saturday, have a cruisy run on the Monday, come in Wednesday, and we're into main training. So wouldn't it be cool if on the Monday I had a little scan on everybody while they were running that was able to say, yes, this guy's running normally. This guy's within his normal parameters. Excellent. This guy's not. Well, okay, that makes sense. He had a big rolled ankle. We know about that one. But like many things in you know, the data analytics world, you find bits and pieces that you weren't aware of and you'll always find one or two. So the idea of me doing of studying was to try and answer those questions and be able to offer information that we, we haven't had previously. So what does that look like? So it looks, it looks like um, within reason, uh, letting all the cats out of the bag, so to speak, Gross. Um, uh, acceler accelerometers judiciously placed and um, then a whole bunch of fun data analytics done on the back end to feed in a whole bunch of information about um, that incorporates, I'm not going to say it's exactly Moran's concepts, but it does certainly draw on them. I mean, his work was very much an inspiration for some of it, as is um, Stuart McMillan's concepts about um, certainly his pusher versus puller argument. You go back in the literature, there's a lot of uh, back into the late 80s, the concept of a groucho runner so uh, or a terrestrial versus a land-based, a terrestrial versus an aerial runner, sorry. So they're all different types. And, and the idea was to identify those, understand what a normal pattern is, understand about what normal variability is, so that you can say, yes, this guy has changed. There's something left to right that wasn't there before. And when you get on the back of a rehab, um, you know, we were working with a, an ACL from last year at the moment, uh, and we had a patella tendon graft. And we got to a point where we could see this kid was hobbling quite a bit, so we backed him off. And then as we, even as we got going, a lot of us, including me, were saying, hey, he looks all right. But then you'd look at the data and go, no, he's still significantly off on that side. Let's give it another week of not going too hard. Cool. Week goes past. You get him back on the track profile and he's back to normal. And to be very honest, this is a kid who's at, I think he's only a young kid, but he's at, I think he's approaching eight months, seven months, but he's already PB'd his 40-metre time twice in the last month. So I'm not saying it's the be-all and end-all, but if we continued to push and we get this patella fly up and it flares and it flares and it flares, it slows our progress down. But it would help that, that system, in my view, helped us make a good decision that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise made. So this is during, a, I don't want to dig too deep, and please stay if you don't want to discuss anymore, but this is during a standardised test on a, on certain days? Yep. Yeah, and okay. it's a function of training. So we can... So it's not something separate, it's all No, 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 it's, it's yeah. done. It's Yeah, yeah, it's, it's literally the idea is to make it scalable. So I want the least amount of impact on the athlete. The athlete hardly knows it's happening. 
And ideally, at some point, I'd love to say that it's live and we're looking at it going, you know, there it is. I mean, there's, there are people out there doing similar things at the moment. And I, to be honest, was on the phone not an hour ago with one of them, but um, I'm not sure what level of validity some of them have. And I certainly know that beyond just what's happening in the vertical, vertical axes, there's a lot more happening, a lot more than I thought, like, to be very honest. Um, yeah, way more, again, philosophically, I'm looking at running differently because, you know, I think Stuart McMillan um, put a post out last week on Twitter where he was saying, is this asymmetry relevant and what would you do about it? Well, you know, what if I can tell you certain things about that running style and what that asymmetry represents as to what you might be able to do? So rather than, um, and I'm not saying experience, cut experience out, but rather than needing 20 years of experience to figure that problem out, maybe you can do it earlier because we have more insight um, to be able to help educate people. This is what it looks like. This is what, um, you know, someone in group A needs to be doing versus someone in group B. Uh, and you look at things like stride frequency, stride length, you know, stiffness. There's a, there's a whole range of aspects that when you put all the papers together, they're all nice in and of themselves, but that's not how they, people run. People do all of them at once. And so getting a picture of how it all fits um, has been a, a really a thoroughly interesting, uh, engaging journey, um, one that I hope to talk about more in the future. But um, I, I probably would make the distinction for anyone thinking about PhD study that you should do it because you love it, not because... Um, you're just getting on the bandwagon. I mean, I, I felt very strongly about having a very distinct question. And to the extent that, um, you know, I've done done it all myself, I haven't really, I've had certainly a few people very influential in helping me, but, but really chased after the question because that's what I wanted as a coach, as opposed to, you know, people just doing like a load monitoring PhD. I mean, how many of them are we going to have? You know, they're everywhere. Uh, not, you know, people do good work in that space, but um, I think it's a it's a viable path for a coach. Ask really serious questions about what you're doing, and don't be scared to find the answers because that's that's the thing, mate. More and more, I learn is how much I don't know rather than what I do know. Mm-hmm. Just talking about that that PhD. I know Cat- catapult. We're going down a, a route of a submax test and <clears throat> looking at the. Player load and bullshit. <laughs> yeah, and I think that by the by the looks of it, no one has got that now. So it may have drifted off into Oblivion. the ether. Yeah. yeah. Uh, look, I, I saw some of the early work they're doing, and uh, you know, I'm not. I, I can't say that I'm 100% right. Um, again, it's like everything. I'm, I'm presenting a view. Um, I hope to present a view that coaches will get, that it's digestible. It's not an obscure three-dimensional shape that really looks more like a blob than anything else. Like information, you, you know, the, the whole data science um, sort of flow, you have to go from data to information and knowledge. You have to make that work. You can't just create, um, you know, fancy graphs that, that just bamboozle people. Um, as I said, I'm approaching this as a coach. So I'm, I'm looking for the answers that I would want when I'm standing there doing rehab 
And and when you get down to it, you know, you get down to uh, and this is the challenge of AFL. I'm not sure how it presents in other sports, but you know, we're a high, high running sport, and we have players that get 28 years of age, 29, 30. I've got a player who's um, 32, 33, and he's got 300 games under his belt. I would like to know if he's fatiguing, and and what's the impact that's having on his running. It's critical knowledge. Um, you know, I have a player who's got multiple. Soft tissue injury is a really bit long, long engaging story, but um, for a variety of reasons, this guy ended up with a bunch of calf injuries and, and managing that has been incredibly challenging. And now I'm starting to feel that by having a bit more information about where he's at, we feel more confident. confident. And it's just, it adds another layer. So when the, the physio is saying, yep, uh, toning that muscle feels really good, um, and if you refer back to your tone management, you look at Charlie Francis and the great coaches. Mate, tone's a massive thing, too high, too low. Uh, the tone's great. Okay, his hop response. You talked about force plates before. Okay, he's got really good symmetry left to right. He's got normal performance on that, that injured limb. He's within normal limits. Okay, that's two non-functional tests. All right, let's put him on the track. What does he look like on the field in warm-up? Yep, that looks good. You know, thumbs up within the within the limits of the ability that I have to measure things, I've ticked off everything I can. If I've missed something, then maybe I'm just not good enough and maybe it can't be measured. I don't know. So at what point will more information about this be coming out? Are you hoping? Uh, look, man, I, I hope to submit it to um, reviewers, um, ideally in the middle of the year. It depends how much I can get done at my lunchtimes. Um, and I'd love to say I can publish it and, and do something with it. And I shared it at the play conference I was at the other week just to trial what people thought, you know. And it seemed to, to coaches. I wasn't presenting it to, you know, scientists. I was making it a case to to um, to coaches that this is this is what I'm seeing. Um, I talked about some patterns that I was seeing in those measurements, and then how I've responded to those. And, and it's interesting how some uh, some patterns, you know, sit with certain people, certainly ones that we talked about earlier that aren't interested in learning very much. They tend to have very, very poor, not this is a very gross generalisation, I suppose, but the three that I talked about before, very poor overall athletic preparation, very poor front side mechanics. What does that mean? So what does that mean for their injury status? So how do we change that? How do we work on that front side? Because remembering they don't want to learn how to work in a gym. Do you think they're really going to learn about toe up, knee up, you know, every cue under the sun uh, in running? They're, they're not, you know. So how do we do that? Well, then there's some other, I guess, paths that we take. But that's what I guess my foray into research has, has helped me challenge what I do. And I hope if, if it comes back to where we started, mate, it's, it's helped me develop my philosophy further. It's helped me deliver, de, sorry, determine more about my practice and make sure my practice is as good as it can be. Are the IMUs that you've used for this commercially available or is it something that's been developed? Um, uh, all right, stop now. Stop. <laughs> yeah, I won't refuse we'll to answer that's on the fine. grounds that's that my fine, mate. No, there's, there's, a, there's a few parts... Rob, um, okay. few parts that, that like I said, I, I want to eventually make it for coaches, you know, so it's yeah. 
there's there's a few different avenues I've I've utilised, um, and I don't mean to be cloak and dagger, but there's so many no, people, so many people in this space at the moment, right? Um, there's people uh, certainly out of Canada putting force sensors in shoes, and they're, they're chasing ground reaction forces um, massively. And I must admit, I started there. That's that's where Morin's at. Um, and I don't know J.B. Moran, but again, I said his work's been very, very influential on my thinking, and and I think that's a huge part of it. But the more I look at it, the more I think, well, hang on, that's just one part of it. Where where are we? What else are we talking about? And and this is where it gets funky when you you start getting into, um, you know, some forms of analysis of more uh, complex things like waveforms and the like. And there's actually there's a thing called statistical parametric mapping, which is a really cool way to look at, say, a vertical curve left to right and say they're different. But when you do, you look at it, once you understand kind of the, the maths of it, you go, actually, as a coach, that doesn't work. I don't like that for a number of reasons. One reason being that it eliminates the temporal component of the foot strike, so ground contact time. And so that's such a huge part of, of running. And I think, well, Okay, it's nice to look at these curves, but we're comparing two curves that might be upwards of 20% different in foot strike, left to right. So, you know, am I actually looking, am I comparing apples and apples there, or is that, you know, like a, a red apple and a green apple? They're kind of similar, but not really. So the coaching thing is never, never far from my mind at all. Great way to round it up. Um, anyone that wants to know more and ask more questions on this, Where's the best place for to contact you? Um, Anything board, else to discuss, by the way? Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I my website, oldbullfitness.com, um, info at oldbullfitness.com. You can email me there. Um, but certainly I've written about a lot of this stuff. I hope to be I've, – I've got plans to probably write a few things in um, the coming sort of months. I, I, say that, uh, I say that I'll do something else in my lunchtime. <laughs> um, but – the idea is, yeah, to try and share the work where we can as much as possible and make it viable. Understanding that, you know, there are, you know, catapults out there doing other people are out there doing this stuff. So um, I've got to sort of, you know, protect the IP a bit. But they have a website, more than happy for people to poke around there. I've written lots of stuff. Um, there's a couple of programs on there. My, my famous high-performance program with Darren Burgess, um, yeah, doing a bit of a sale on that at the moment, see what happens. But, but we're going to we're going to try and update that in the near future. But, um, yeah, that's about it. Nice, old bull fitness. Talk old to bull, us about the name. Old bull fitness. Uh, it was actually a joke to begin with. Okay, um, it's one of those things where you go, yeah, yeah I'll make a website. Let's let's do the cool <laughs> name. Yeah, I'm the old bull. So it was one of those things where for the longest time I was the youngest coach in many things. And then it's kind of flipped and you became suddenly the oldest guy. And, and uh, you know, there's a, a term I, I guess they use a lot. I seem, seem to hear a lot in AFL about the old bull is the, the old guy playing. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not the oldest. There are certainly guys around that, that uh, like to remind me that they're older than me. That's cool. But um, it does seem like I feel very old at times with uh, younger guys, particularly uh, once you tick over the 5-0, it does – Seem like you've been around for a while. Nice. Do you know your Twitter handle? Uh, Jason Jason A. Weber. Yep, that's the 1B. Um, 
yeah. So hopefully I'll uh, get some writing out soon that's interesting and maybe puts a little bit more light to some of the stuff we've talked about. But if you Absolutely. want to read you know, all my philosophy stuff, that's all on the website. There's plenty of plenty of blog articles there. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I know you're a busy oh, man. Oh, it's been a and pleasure, Rob. It's, uh, it's uh, yeah, interesting to reflect on uh, five years difference or whatever it's been, four years. Absolutely. We'll stick around and we'll have a chat. But, um, yeah, thank you very much, and we'll, we'll chat soon. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, pal. Thanks for tuning in to episode 284 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Jason. Like I said right at the start, he appeared in episode 12, right at the start of the journey for the podcast. And same position, but great to get this um, this part two in the back. So if you do want to listen, episode 12 from July 2014, a lot of that still applies. A lot of that information still applies. So big thanks to Jason for giving up his time in a very busy schedule, full-time job, PhD, family, etc. And also big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, to iMeasureU, to Omega Wave, and to our, one of our brand new sponsors, athletemonitoring.com. So thank you for tuning in. Got some great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. So make sure you press subscribe on your chosen podcast player. And I will chat to you next week. 